Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Thursday, September 29th, 2022. In honor of Yom Kippur, which is coming up next week, we are redropping our podcast from 2020, Jewish Fast Days, Can Pregnant Women Try to Fast? with Dr. Stephanie Melka. For those of you fasting next week, hope it goes well. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. See you again on Monday for another Healthful Woman podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we are shifting gears, and I'll be talking with Stephanie Melka about fasting and pregnancy. As some of you might know, there is a Jewish fast day coming up in a few days, Tisha B'Av, which is the second most important fast day on the Jewish calendar, with Yom Kippur holding the top spot for the past few thousand years or so. Now, that's quite a run. It's hard for me to overstate how many questions I get about these two fast days from pregnant women, from doctors, and from rabbis. So I thought a podcast would be a great idea. First, to help clarify some of the issues involved, how we think about this, and what recommendations we make. Second, maybe to make my life a little more calm the weeks leading up to these fast days. For those of you who are in this world, I'm sure you will find this podcast interesting and helpful. For those of you for whom this topic does not apply, or it is new to you, I also think you'll find it interesting, at least from an academic standpoint. All right, Melka, welcome back to Healthful Woman. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Melka's a podcast sensation. People have just been tuning into your podcasts and the numbers are going up, up, up. And I thought, who better to talk to about Jewish fast days than Stephanie Melka? Especially <laughs> not growing up Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> You've had sort of a informal conversion to the Jewish religion over the past years, uh, having so much interaction with uh, the Jewish folk, so yes. to speak. It, it is, though, an, a topic that comes up a lot in our practice, in our region, about Jewish fast days, obviously fasting in general uh, and pregnancy. And I thought it'd be good to get both your perspective as maybe a newcomer to this topic uh, in this past several years, as my perspective, obviously growing up with this and knowing, because it's something that we discuss a lot uh, before the Jewish fast days come up. Just for some background, for those who may not know what we're talking about in the Jewish calendar, there are several fast days that vary in terms of maybe importance and also in length. Some of the fasts are 24 hours, actually 25 hours. Uh, some of the fasts, you know, starting at night and ending the next night. And some of the fasts are just during the day hours, you know, morning to evening. And by fasting, it's no food, no drink, nothing, essentially. Is this something you even knew about when you started your training at Mount Sinai? I think very peripherally from having friends in college that were Jewish that uh -huh. on certain holidays would say, oh, we're fasting today. You know, right. I grew up Catholic. We had a couple fast days on the calendar, so it's not a foreign concept. But no, I really didn't know much about it. Right. And so, I mean, I know that you know, growing up, these fast days were very prevalent on our calendar. They were looming, some would say. And I never really thought about it so much growing up. What did pregnant women do on these fast days? Do they fast? Do they not fast? How does that work? And that is something that we talk about a lot with our patients and frequently uh, with their families, sometimes with their rabbis, and each circumstance is uh, unique. And the reason it comes up is one of the principles of these fast days is that yes, there's a fast day. Yes, you're supposed to fast. But one of the 
exemptions from fasting is someone who will be ill, right? You're not supposed to fast in order to harm yourself. And so someone who is sick and can't fast, or if they get ill while they're fasting, there's not only no obligation to fast, but they're really not supposed to fast because that's not the goal of it. So the question is, how does pregnancy come into play? And in the so, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, pregnant women were considered to be very unsafe. And they were told, for sure, don't fast. Like, it's not an option because pregnancy was a much more dangerous condition way back when. And so nowadays, when for most people, it's not as dangerous, fortunately, what happens? And so have you gotten involved in these conversations? All the time. How do they go for you typically? What is it normally someone trying to get your permission to fast or trying to get your sort of uh, blessing not to fast? A little of both. Lately, whenever someone says, oh, there's a holiday coming up, I'll usually say, what were you planning on doing with fasting? And sometimes they'll say, well, I have twins, so I'm not supposed to fast, right? And I'll say yes. Right. Or I'm on a blood thinner, I'm not supposed to fast. And other times it's the opposite, where they're like, well, of course I'm going to fast. And then I kind of have to take a step back and look at whatever their history is, whatever their high risk issues are and kind of help them make the right decision. Right. And it definitely is individualized. It would be inappropriate to say every pregnant woman can fast. And I believe it's inappropriate to say no pregnant woman can try to fast. There's definitely something in the middle and it depends on exactly the nature of her specific pregnancy. What are her risk factors? What's her situation? What's her health? And obviously the nature of the fast day, which is more sort of on her end. We don't you know, tend to give religious advice in our practice. Some uh, of us do, not all. <laughs> but it, but it, it definitely does vary, and the the questions are more. I would say they're more common and more maybe intense potentially around a fast day like Yom Kippur, where mm-hmm. you know people really feel strongly about fasting versus some of the other minor fast days where a they may not feel as strongly, and certainly the rabbis don't feel as strongly about them fasting. And then just to to take a step back, just so everyone understands, what about fasting? might be an issue for pregnancy? Like why might a pregnant woman not be able to fast? And in terms of like what could happen, not so much what are the conditions, but what could happen in general to them? You know, the main thing, it's not the lack of food, it's the lack of hydration. You know, getting dehydrated, you'll see people get crampy. Some women get dizzy. Occasionally we've had people pass out. Having taken a lot of Yom Kippur calls over the year, (laughs) you sort of get some of those pages the well I was in shul I was fasting I passed out what do I do now right for those who may not be catholic shul is synagogue for Melka but yeah I mean for pregnant women it's definitely harder to fast they're more prone to get low blood pressure and so they're more prone to get lightheaded when they fast dizzy weak again they could actually collapse pass out which is bad and when you said cramp- uh, crampy they do get contractions uh, many women who, when they fast, get contractions. It does not mean they're going to go into labor necessarily, but it is a possibility. And also, there is an increased risk, which is rare, but there is an increased risk in pregnancy of getting blood clotting. So when people get dehydrated, that's why if they have other risk factors for blood clotting, we frequently will tell them they shouldn't fast. In that sense, there is evidence that after Yom Kippur, there is a higher rate of going into labor, more so at the end of pregnancy than preterm. But there is something to it. It's not a myth that Mm -hmm. fasting causes contractions potentially. And as you said, having (laughs) taken those calls, you've been there. Yeah. But if it's somebody that's had a prior 28-week preterm delivery that now is 29 weeks, 
right I'm much more concerned if she's one of those people that does go into labor rather than somebody who's 39 weeks right and it, in general you know fasting it, taking fast days out of the equation and taking sort of you know religious beliefs and practices out of the equation normally if a pregnant woman said hey i plan on not eating and drinking for 24 hours it'd be like why would you ever do that that's not a great idea so it's not that fasting is a good thing to do we would normally recommend it it's just that most women if they did it right they have a reason to do it they want to do it most women will do fine and so the the thought process how do we help them decide if they're a good candidate to try to do it or if they're not a good candidate to try to do it it's not like we're encouraging people to fast uh, we don't bring it up usually ever unless we just know proactively that it's it's on their radar but it's something that's that they bring to us and we have to go through it and so what would you tell someone who's having let's say uncomplicated pregnancy she's perfectly healthy you know she's fasted in the past how would you advise her she says you know what can i do in terms of a fast day you know, someone who's low risk, healthy, the way I present it is you can make an attempt to fast, wake up, don't eat, don't drink, and then see how you feel during the day. But if you start feeling unwell, then you should break the fast with food and water and then continue with water the rest of the day. Yeah, I tell them very similar. I always tell them that I don't give, I'm not giving them blanket permission to fast. I'm giving them permission to try to fast. Some people, I don't give them, you know, that option. I say, it's not a good idea. So I say, okay, you can try to fast. And the same way I said, you know, pregnant women frequently, not always, but frequently have a harder time fasting than non-pregnant women. So I say, you may be a good faster when you're not pregnant, but be aware that may not be the case when you are pregnant. Frequently it is, good fasters tend to be good fasters. But if you are getting very dizzy and weak, and you start noticing contractions during the day, you know, it's it's not right for you. You're supposed to break your fast, you know, medically. And we'll get to sort of what happens rabbinically as well, how that sometimes those coincide or potentially conflict. And so I tell them they shouldn't fast if they're not feeling well during the day. But again, most women who are healthy and have fasted before are going to get through a fast day with the same stuff that everyone has. They're, you know, they're going to be tired. They're going to be weak. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. All right, that's what everyone has when they fast. But if as long as they're not feeling dizzy, you know, pass, you know, like they're going to pass out or they're contracting that they can try to fast. And there are conditions though, where we tell women they should not fast. And so what might some of those be, or they should not try to fast? Multiple gestations. So our twins triplets, prior preterm deliveries, patients with a cerclage, patients on blood thinners. Right. Those are the big ones that stand out to me. The way I think about it with them is the first categories, people at increased risk for preterm birth. And so, yes, people like with multiple pregnancies, people with a history of a preterm birth, people with a cerclage that we placed because they're at risk for preterm birth or they had a short cervix or whatever. And those are the women you really don't want to have start contracting in the middle of pregnancy because number one, it could lead to something pretty bad, obviously, if they go into labor, but also they're much more likely to then end up in a hospital and really things are going to get pretty scary for them and potentially for those around them if they start contracting. So that's one. When you said the ones on the blood thinner, so it's, and again, it's not, it's not that they're on, it's not because they're on blood thinners, but as you were, you know, we're noting that they're an increased risk of getting a blood clot. And so definitely women at increased risk are getting a blood clot. We tell them not to fast as well. I usually tell our diabetics not to fast. People with gestational diabetes who aren't on medicine, it's a little bit different, but people are taking insulin and they're at risk, you know, they're generally, and this is true typically when they're 
not pregnant as well, but when they're pregnant, those go on the list. And sometimes we have women who have a you know very bad what we call hyperemesis. So they have a lot of vomiting at the beginning of pregnancy, and I mean those people they just can't fast. I mean they they sort of are always almost fasting, and so whatever they can get into them is good. And have you found a lot of pushback on these? Uh, in these situations where you tell people they, they shouldn't be fasting? I haven't because I learned when they can't fast, they can have liquid throughout the day. Right. So that's a great- So this is yeah. a great segue. <laughs> yeah, this is, that was the, milk has always got the good segue. So there is a concept. And for those who are familiar with this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who are not familiar with this, I'm going to try to explain it uh, as best as I can. There is a concept in- Jewish law about eating. So, right, if someone is, for example, someone is fasting, well, how much food or drink do they have to take to be considered breaking their fast, to not be fasting? And so, for example, you're walking down the street and it's raining and a drop of water ends up in your mouth. Did you just break your fast? And I was like, well, no, of course not. And so, where's the cutoff point? And there is an amount, there's a specific volume of liquid and a volume of food under which you haven't broken your fast. And so there's sort of a loophole in the fast day that's not encouraged to be used by everybody, but for people who have certain conditions where it's not a good idea to fast, there is an option between fasting and completely not fasting where they have these small amounts of liquid or food every certain amount of minutes. And so they're technically not breaking their fast when in fact they're pretty much eating or drinking throughout the day. The the Hebrew word is shiurim or shiurim, as they say. And so it ends up being about an ounce of liquid, like a shot glass worth. And if they have it every 10 minutes or so or less frequent than that, that, they're not breaking their fast. And so what do you mean that that works for for patients when they're sort of potentially conflict, that you, you want them not to fast and they want to fast? It's sort of the happy medium between the two. You know, I'll explain to them the risk of fasting, um, as you said, whether it's the blood clots or preterm contractions, is mainly related more to the dehydration than the lack of food. And that they could go for days without food and be fine, but the dehydration will hit them pretty quickly and potentially lead to those complications. So, Avoid food, but keep drinking like this. Right. And also the the liquid doesn't have to be water. It can be juice. It could be soda. It could have sugar in it. It could have electrolytes in it. It could be Gatorade. And so, like you said, we frequently have women who don't eat for several days in a row, whether it's because of that an operation or because even sometimes in labor, people might not necessarily be eating or early in pregnancy. If they have, you know, this hyperemesis, they may not get food, but if they get liquid and some sugar, they'll typically be okay. And I've also found that to be really the great equalizer in these conversations. When women want to fast, they're expecting to fast, and I don't think it's a good idea for them. What I'll tell them is, listen, if you do this, you know, if you have a, an ounce of apple juice or grape juice or water or Gatorade every 10 minutes or so over the course of the day, most likely your rabbi will be fine with that. And you'll be drinking more than you probably are drinking today because that's a lot. You know, six ounces of water or liquid every hour, right? Because if you think about one ounce every 10 minutes is a lot. Eight ounces is a cup. So if you have a, almost a cup of water every hour, you're going to be well hydrated uh, and it should have been issued. The hard part is that it's not easy to do. It really is a commitment. I mean, if someone's really committed to fasting, I say this is a real commitment. You have to actually 
do this starting in the morning. Do they have to pour it into the glass to then drink or can they keep the bottle with them and just like assume that sip is the right amount? I assume you're asking me. I'm asking you. I've never I've never <laughs> known that. And it just occurred to me. I, I, I don't know practically what people do. No, you can do just a sip. Like as long as you have a, an idea of what the volume is, it doesn't have to be poured individually. So yeah, if someone is really going to do that, I tell them they have to start in the morning. The key is because sometimes people are like, okay, I'll wait. And then it's three or four in the afternoon and they're about to pass out and they're contracting, taking an ounce a of, sip of water doesn't help. help. Yeah, they have to sort of, it, it's it's preventative more than uh, treatment for not doing well in a fast. And that's also, you know, there are sometimes conflicts that come up. I don't mean conflicts in terms of combative, but just differences in how maybe someone's rabbi feels or how they feel versus what we feel. And that frequently ends the conversation. You know, if, if a patient says, I really want to fast, it's important to me, or my rabbi says, I should fast, you know, he or he or she doesn't think it's my getting out of the fast is appropriate. And so I'll say, all right, let me speak to the rabbi. And then when I say to the rabbi, you know, I'm perfectly fine if she does this, they'll be like, oh, great. You know, they're like, oh, perfect. Then we're good. And there's really no conflict because for for them, that's that's also something that they tend to be pretty lenient about for pregnant women. If there's any reason the doctor doesn't want them to fast, but the doctor is comfortable with them doing these small liquid amounts over the day, which the doctor should be comfortable with that if they understand what it is. And I think that that's a very important part of this education. I sort of wear many hats. And so one of them is an obstetrician. Yeah, one of them is an obstetrician. One of them is someone who, you know, understands these fast days and participates. And, you know, I'm in the shul, a synagogue. And so I get a lot of these questions from, from patients, from doctors, and from rabbis. Almost always the issue is just a lack of understanding of what what are the options? And generally for, for all three groups, if they understand that this is an option, that you can have small amounts of liquid every 10 minutes throughout the day, the doctors be like, yeah, that's plenty of drink. It may be a little odd way to, you know, to drink it, but okay, you know, who cares? And then the rabbi's like, oh, if that's okay, then I'm okay. And the patient's like, oh, I'm still fasting. And then everyone sort of wins in that situation. They get to you know, fast, they get to sort of feel that they're doing the right thing religiously. The doctor's comfortable. Uh, very few doctors will say you have to eat food. Uh, I have a few patients who I tell them, you know, that this is not an option because I think it's so dangerous for them to fast that I don't want them toying around with this. And these are the people I say, listen, and I explain, I say, normally I let people do this for you, fork, knife, you know, napkin tucked under the shirt, you know, plate, you're having real food. And and I, it, but those are, those are really the exception. Is that mainly your diabetics? Sometimes. I mean, it's, it's people, I mean, the diabetics usually know because they're, they're, they're on insulin, they're checking their finger sticks and they know the issue. I mean, some people like who've had uterine ruptures and really horrible outcomes. And just, you know, if they start contracting, it's a disaster. Yeah. And you know, placenta accretas. I mean, really, these are unusual circumstances where I say, you know what, it, it's not worth it. It's just too dangerous. And I don't think I've ever come across a situation where the patient or the rabbi disagreed on that front. Again, because they know that I'm not going to tell that to everybody. And I think, again, that's part of the the issue that comes up is there are doctors who don't sort of understand and they'll tell all their pregnant women, you can't fast. They just say, you know, carte blanche, no one's allowed to fast. And then sort of that's when the rabbi's like, well, you know, that's a little crazy. 
And so that's when there's conflict. But if, if everyone sort of is able to discuss it, it works better. Have you had conversations with rabbis on this? Has that come across you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten those pages a couple of times right. or the email from the nurses and I'm the only one free and I'll take out. Oh. Right. I don't think my name yet has the clout that other people <laughs> does, but I'm getting there. But I tell them the same thing. And I think, like you said, they're fine with it. Right. It, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a reasonable conversation if everyone is sort of willing to accept the premise that there is a fast day and that it has importance to these women. And people are unwilling to accept that premise and just say, well, well this is nuts. Like, why would you ever fast when you're pregnant? You're out of your mind. And like, I'm not going to allow it. That's when I think a lot of conflict occurs. And, you know, some rabbis are very comfortable saying your doctor's wrong, you should fast. Other rabbis are not comfortable saying that. And like, listen, you know, I'm not going to overrule your doctor. Like that just seems dangerous. And then, then the women are sort of stuck in the middle. They're like, that's so weird. My doctor said, no, my rabbi doesn't really know what to do. My friends are fasting and it, it just gets confusing. And then, then they typically call me. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of calls a week at Yom Kippur. It's, it's a busy week. One thing I wanted to talk about is intravenous fluids on fast days. Cause we get that question a lot. I assume you get that a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what is it that, what is it specifically that people are asking you to do permission to do? Can I have an IV placed so I can get IV hydration so I can keep fasting? Right. Because putting a, a needle in your arm and having fluids that way is not eating or drinking. So Correct. you're technically you're not fasting. fasting. Yeah. 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 So you're fasting, but you're not getting dehydrated. And a lot of people do this. It's not, you know, in some places there, there are sort of mobile IV units that get, you know, sent around town to do this. And what is, what is your thoughts on this? So again, I grew up. Catholic, so I have a different perspective on it. But my perspective on that is, but you're you're doing the same thing in the end. You know, mm -hmm. you're relieving your symptoms, but in a more dangerous way. Right. Not that an IV is dangerous, but it is a needle in your arm with a catheter that sits there that you don't always know who's placing it or how clean it is to relieve your symptoms of cramping, weakness, passing out, whatever. When breaking the fast bike eating and drinking would get you the same effect with less risk. I'm not a fan of it. I tell people, no, I say, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. And if people sometimes do it, you know, people don't always listen to me. That happens a lot, obviously, but I tell them I'm opposed to it medically and I'm opposed to it religiously. <laughs> I just don't get it. I said, medically, it makes no sense. You know, you're taking, like you said, there's, yeah, you know, most people get an IV, they get it, they're fine, but there's risk. You're sticking a needle in your arm. You could get an infection. There are people can get small blood clots, you're pregnant. There's you know, there's... I've seen fluid overload, people getting a ton of fluid at once. I've yeah. seen IVs infiltrate and suddenly your arm is swollen, all that fluid's in your sub-Q tissue. And... and you take someone with a twin pregnancy and you give them a liter or two of fluid, they can, it can go to their lungs. Like they can get, you know, pulmonary edema. These are not common, but it's not going to happen if they drink a lot of water, yeah. right? It just doesn't happen that way. And so I'm definitely opposed to it medically. You know, if their mouth works, they should, you know, take the fluid that way. And I, I never, you know, I'm not a religious leader, advisor or anything, but it never really made sense to me that, you know, because you're, you're not supposed to injure yourself intentionally from a religious perspective. And to do that, it just doesn't seem like it would have been okay Talmudically. It's like, oh, we're going to, you know, injure somebody in order to, for them. They think, no, you break your fast. Like if you're not well enough to fast, you don't fast. Like that was sort of the tenant. So I'm not really a big fan of it. And we tell patients we're not on board. And I think that many of them, again, since they have the option to drink the small amounts of fluid every 10 minutes, 
then that's sort of a, a good, happy medium for everybody. And we avoid the intravenous fluids. And then in terms of medications, what do you tell people for their meds? It's so incredibly individualized. You know, there's a lot of medications people take, a prenatal baby aspirin, like a low synthroid dose, like you can skip it for a day, you can take it that night or the next day. So for the most part, I'm okay. Like most of those medications, people can skip a day. Right, right. No, I agree because like the prenatal vitamin, they don't take it that day or take it at night before they go to sleep. It's not dangerous to, you know, take it at night than the next morning. A lot of those medications, things like blood pressure medicine, obviously they have to take, that's Mm -hmm. important. And most, most people aren't asking to get off those meds and they could take it with a tiny sip of water. And again, if it's less than an ounce, it's, it's the same uh, idea. Uh, injectables they they should take typically because again it's something they can ask if it, if they want to put it off I guess it depends on the exact medication but generally it's it's not advised to stop medications without speaking to somebody first uh, like your doctor <laughs> which would which would be important and then you know I think it, again just to to rehash this from a practical perspective there are definitely doctors who tell patients you can never fast and. I would say that that's probably not a wise approach for doctors to take uh, because it it shows it's not that they're wrong. I just think that it's not practical because, you know, if you're taking care of women who this is part of their lives, and again, we've only spoken about Jewish fast days, but obviously there's, you know, there's Ramadan, there's Catholic fast days, there's, there's reasons people do it. And Again, I we have less experience in those situations. We haven't had as many people asking us, but they definitely come up. But it's just, you know, to just say no. And all right, some people might listen to you, but others aren't. And then it becomes potentially unsafe. And there you have people doing it who really shouldn't be doing it. And I think for the doctors, it's important to have an understanding of what is the situation and how can I work with people practically to make this happen safely and to sort of give people leeway when it's safe and to sort of back off when it's less safe and to really back off when it's dangerous. And I think for you know rabbis or religious leaders, it's the same thing. I think it's inappropriate to say you have to fast always or you know to say, oh, no one ever has to fast if they're pregnant. And if they want to, that's their opinion. Okay, you know, great. But there is, you know, room to work with the patient, with the doctor. And the same thing for the patients, for the women who are thinking about this. You know, if some women, I, I don't, you know, someone says to me, I'm not planning on fasting. Like, I'm okay. I'm not going to convince them to fast. Like, that's not my business. But for people who it's important to them and they want to do it and they want to know what the options are to really try to be educated about this. And if it seems like your rabbi or your doctor is just not getting it, then maybe to do some more investigating and to talk about it more and to see what these options are. Uh, sometimes it's difficult because you just don't have those resources, but it definitely is an option. I mean, it, have you found in your own practice that, you know, the women after these fast days, like what kind of stories do they tell you? Do they feel like they're happy they had this option or didn't work for them? Or do they even just like, don't even talk about it with you? I don't know that I hear much about it afterwards. I do get a good number of people thanking us whenever we say like, okay, we gave you this exemption, you know, don't eat food, but drink during the day that they're like, I'm so glad you let me do that. It made me feel normal. You know, like I could still, you know, observe this day. I could still somewhat fast, but still stay safe during the pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, people who are 
And I've had, I've also had other people who I've said, look, you can try to fast, but you're 38 weeks, whatever, you know, just know if you feel, you know, if you feel unwell, break the fast. And then the next question is, well, what do you mean by unwell? I'm like, (laughs) anything you don't usually feel well fasting, you know, if you're passing out really, and I go through all the symptoms and I'm like, it's probably going to happen. It happens very often at term. And then they'll often come back the next week and be like, you were right. Like by two Mm. o'clock, I I just couldn't do it anymore. Two things you said were important. The first is for many, if not, well, not all, but for many or most of these women, when they're talking about asking us to fast and let's say they're, you know, 30 years old, they've been fasting every year for almost 20 years and not fasting would feel very strange to them. It's just something that they're, they've always done. It's a part of their tradition. It's a part of everyone, their family's doing it. It's just, it, it would be odd for them. They'd feel like something is off and, Obviously, if we tell them like no, like this is not right, that okay, they they value their you know their pregnancy and their health and their baby more, uh, but it is something that's important to them, and that's one of the things that you know it's not that everyone's trying to get out of the fast. Many, I, I say, most of the questions I get are people trying to get into the fast. Yes, <laughs> uh, more so. People want to get out of the fast. They don't fast. They don't ask. Like okay, but the people are asking about it, it's usually because they want to do it, and that was an important thing. The other thing is, at term thirty eight, thirty nine weeks, I do modify. Uh, what I tell them, like you said, I always, you have a higher risk of becoming faint or this. And so you have to be careful. But if they start cramping or contracting, I was like, listen, is it a, a do mind if you go into labor, you know, a day or two after Yom Kippur? And like, no, it's great. I'm at the end of pregnancy. So that's not so much a risk, but potentially a consequence. And so I don't worry them about that if they're already 37, 38, 39 weeks. It's just more so if they're feeling sick. Uh, and that's an important thing. Okay, so we covered a lot today, but I wanted to make sure to give a summary or an overview of what our recommendations are for women who are thinking of fasting during pregnancy. So first, for low-risk women, uncomplicated pregnancies who are considering fasting, and usually this is going to be for one of the more major fast days like Yom Kippur or maybe Tisha B'Av in the summer, what we recommend is it is okay to try to fast Many or most pregnant women will be able to fast if they have a good meal beforehand and drink beforehand. During the day, they'll be tired and cranky like the rest of us, but that's it, and that's okay, and it should be safe for them and the baby. However, it is possible that during pregnancy, it'll be harder to fast, and if someone starts getting dizzy and weak, like they're going to pass out, for sure they should completely break their fast. If they start contracting and they're preterm and they're at risk for preterm labor, for sure they should break their fast. If they're at the end of pregnancy, like 39, 40 weeks, and they start contracting, well, it really depends. If they really feel sick because of it, they can break their fast. If they feel fine and they don't really mind going into labor, that's okay. But again, it's not a blanket okay to fast. It's an okay to try to fast. And that's a very important detail. Now, there are women who we recommend not fast during pregnancy. And these are women, for example, at risk of preterm birth, like twins or triplets, or maybe women with a history of preterm birth, women with a short cervix, maybe a cerclage. And again, this is really during time period where they could contract and go into labor. So maybe after, let's say, 20 weeks until about 36, 37 weeks, somewhere in that range. Much earlier than that, they're really not at risk for labor. And later than that, again, it wouldn't be preterm birth. Other women who we recommend not fasting would be diabetics, women at increased risk for getting blood clots, uh, certain other medical conditions. And for almost all of those women, we are okay with them doing the small amounts of liquid every 10 minutes. 
But it's important to note that number one, that really has to start in the morning when you wake up. You can't wait until the afternoon to start taking an ounce of liquid every 10 minutes because uh, it won't work. It has to be preventative. Number two, it really has to be every 10 minutes. It's a commitment. It's not easy to take an ounce of liquid every 10 minutes from eight in the morning until six or seven at night. But if someone wants to be fasting and wants to use this as their way to fast, they have to really be committed to doing it. It's a good idea for that liquid to have some sugar in it, so maybe some juice or soda or Gatorade. You could have water periodically. Sometimes people prefer a little amount of food, like a grape or something like that, and that is okay as well. Now, there are women who we recommend completely not fast, and these are higher-risk women. These are individualized where we say, don't do any of this. You should absolutely eat, drink, full meals, like a totally normal day. And that's important to distinguish from the other women who can try to do with the smaller amounts of liquid. Obviously, with all of this, every person is different. Every fast day is different. Every season is different. Every pregnancy is different. Every situation is different. It's important to speak to your doctor, speak to your rabbi if you have religious questions. And hopefully that is a good summary of what we went through today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.